Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. How's everybody doing? All right? It's good to have you here. Love being here uh, with you guys. It is, a, it is a blessing. It is a blessing. Brittany, thank you. I just love the worship. and just, I mean, we can clap. I thought she did a great job, so thank you for... Your beautiful heart and your worship here. So, hey, you know what? We did have a prayer last week. We have it every week. Gosh, it's, it was a packed house. We're getting like, gosh, at least six, eight people now. I don't know what's going on. I'm serious. We start, Remember we started with like two or three? Yeah, two or three. So you can do the math on that. That's unbelievable. But I see some people that I'd love for you to come out and, and enjoy. It's one hour. It's, it's 6.30 to 7.30, so it's, it's a great time. I love, uh, we're past, uh, as Chris said, we're praying for pastor. We are in this Lent season, so we've asked some things during this Lent season of you. Is everybody, did everybody get their sacred uh, space books? Okay, if you didn't, there's some in the back, so you can grab them. But we're, there's a, there's a, each day there's a little uh, uh, reading that is really good, real simple. For a guy like me, I can read it in about 45 minutes. For the rest of you, it takes about three minutes. So you can just, it, it is, it's just really good and meaty. But what we've asked as a, as a church, if this isn't your church, then just sit there and you don't have to sweat it. But if this is your church, what we're asking you to do corporately is this. Every, every Wednesday during Lent, we're asking you to pray with us, either 6.30 here in the morning, or, or wherever you might be, just take some time to prayer. We're also asking that on, on Wednesdays each week, if this is your church, we're asking you to fast, to say, take some time to fast and pray. And what that looks like is from sunup, which is really that 6.30 prayer time, until dinner time or sundown, we're asking you to fast. Now, that doesn't mean skipping a meal and getting skinny. What it means uh, is uh, it, it means that you take some time and you pray. And you pray during, pray during that time. Um, and, and then what we're asking you to do is at dinner time to break the fast with your family and have a family meal. That's a tough one. Having a family meal this day is just trying to gather kids and, 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 and all that stuff is, is difficult. So we're asking you to do that and really talk about this Lent season leading up to this uh, uh, what I call Super Bowl of Christianity. Speaking of Super Bowl of Christianity, I do not like the saints. <laughs> This has nothing to do with football. This is about the saints, the saints in the church. It's not football. I don't even know where the, the team, there's a team called the saints. I don't know where they live. I don't know any of that stuff. But I think the saints of Jesus need to be acknowledged. So I wear this t-shirt and I'm, you know, I might wear it for a couple more weeks just because I like the saints in the church. Uh, why are you guys laughing? I'm, uh, the reality is this, I lost a bet. That's just the bottom line. I got to black that out. I, know, I lost a bet to this beautiful woman up front here, and I've got a couple more weeks of, of wearing this T-shirt. I do wash it, so you can be assured of that. It's not the same shirt that I haven't washed. I do wash it. Uh, back to Lent season. Um, and the other thing ultimately we're asking you to do as a family is, is to, to pray for 40 days to sacrifice something you love. Look, let me say this. This. If you hadn't started, it's time to start. You can start now. I have been terrible. Let me just confess. I, gosh, because 
diet soda is so in my world, I don't even think about it. And I, that's what I was going to give up. And I, I've blown it at least 15 times. But I'm getting back on it, and I'm going to go at it again. My point is this. If you haven't, you can, you can start right now. It's just one of the ways that we go, okay, God, I, I'm going to feel a little bit of a smidgen of pain, <laughs> not drinking a diet soda, thinking about what you've sacrificed for us. So that's what the Lent season and what we have been uh, going through. And we're going through this sacred space now. If, if you read it today, we are, uh, the, the, the passage was what I'm going to preach on today or in context. It is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Today's lesson was, was in 6, and, and it was about, uh, uh, it was about uh, forgiving your enemies. So if you're reading that, that's what we're going to jump off. Last week, he ju- jumped off the week before. So each week, we'll, we'll go out of one of the readings that happens here. So let me pray as we get going, because there's a lot here today, and, and I, I want to make sure that I'm clear of thought when I, when I preach it to you today. So Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. Thank you for these men and women. Lord, as, as your word goes forth tonight, Father, I pray that you'd move me aside and you, Holy Spirit, would speak. God, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see, that you'd give us ears to hear, and a heart to receive whatever you would speak to us. So Lord, I thank you for this time, in Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. So we're going through this, this little section, and it's so hard, there's so much. It's this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount was this breakout party for Jesus. He had just come off of fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And, and it, it, it is the Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It's believed to only be about 18 minutes. Now, there's some theologians that think that because Jesus could say all that and all, I mean, just an incredible amount of information, and in fact, some believe that it was the, the greatest sermon ever given, um, it was a powerful sermon, it was the longest piece of, of literature or speaking that Jesus said that we see recorded in the Bibles, but some think that preachers should be able to preach in 18 minutes if Jesus could do it. I would argue that point. So I'm not going 18 minutes today. I'm going to go closer to 35 minutes. But the point is this. If I was Jesus, I could say what I'm about to say in 18 minutes, but I'm not, so it's going to take me 40 minutes. All right? So, uh, do it, what? Come on. Come, what? Okay, I give up being funny for Lent. Let me just say I work alone, crowd. I don't need your... Gosh, these... <laughs> no, it's not funny. Don't humor him, okay? <laughs> so this, this piece, this teaching that Jesus does called the Sermon on the Mount is a powerful, powerful, it, it covers so many different topics. But I, I, I want to take a, a piece tonight, and I want to really look at it. Um, it, the Sermon on the Mount concludes, all this great speaking concludes with this in Matthew 7, 28 through 29. And it says this, and when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. There was, there was something different about Jesus. There was something different about when he spoke. There was something powerful that they'd never experienced before, that they'd never heard this authority. And all the scribes and Pharisees, these religious men who were supposed to know everything, there was something different about Jesus. And that's what we saw at the end of his sermon. 
Now, I want to talk about two bookends within this Sermon on the Mount. And they're two scriptures that we uh, probably have all heard, but they're real difficult in this. It says this. The first one on one end of Matthew 5 says this. For I tell you, and he's speaking to the crowd. He's speaking to us. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He says this, unless you're, what you do is greater than, than the great preachers, these Pharisees, you're not getting into heaven. And then on the back end, he says this, and it's a trip because I'm like, oh gosh, this is, he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. I mean, he, he just, there's this bar that is set that is pretty incredible. And I, I want to look at those two and why and what he was really saying there. The bookends and what sits between them are these verses, these six different verses where he deals with certain things. Anger, lust, divorce, oaths, uh, retaliation, and hatred. He deals with these two things. On each side, he says, you better be righteous and you better be perfect. After having talked about all these things. It's this statement that Jesus makes. The statement. So you got to imagine here on this this mount on the hillside, and there's there's hundreds, if not thousands, of people that are listening to Jesus, this this great new teacher. And in the crowd are these Pharisees and these scribes. Now the, the Pharisees and scribes would have been absolutely shocked by what Jesus said. Because he just said this of them. They're sitting in the crowd, pious as can be, the religious leaders, the religious men and women that, that are supposed to be, or men, that are supposed to be the ones. And Jesus says this, look, you got to be more righteous than them. See, the, the, the popular Jewish thinking was this, and the joke going around was, if two people went to heaven, it would be a, a Pharisee and a scribe, the religious leaders. Nobody else would go. The thinking was that these men were greater than. The thinking was that the scribes were scholars who studied and interpreted the law. You couldn't interpret the law. These men had it down. They understood everything. The word Pharisee literally means separate one. That they were that much better than anybody else. And that they were closest to God. And then this man, Jesus, fully God, fully man, comes along, and he blows the top off of everything like he does so often in our lives. He says, see these guys over here who think they got it all together? He said, they don't. And in fact, you got to do greater things than them. you got to, your righteousness. Now, in their mind, they're going, how can my righteousness ever be better than these men? They know the law. They know the scripture. They pray day. They pray in the night. They do all. They fast. They let you know that they're fasting. They let you know that you pray. All these things. It would be the equivalent of me saying today, this, Jesus is the only way. See, when, when you step into a, a, a secular setting, have you ever seen or stepped into a secular setting and had those conversations and people go, oh, there's many ways to God. And you go, no, 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 no. There's one way to God, Jesus. And you can just feel the air sucked out of the room. Yeah, have you ever been in that one? And you're like, no, no, Jesus is the only way. You know, they could say God all day long, but the moment you say Jesus, the air comes out of the room. 
Because God becomes this, you know, the God of, of the Muslims, the God of Jehovah's Witness, the God of, but when you say Jesus, you know who he's talking about. Jesus is the only way. And that's what he was saying here. That's what he was doing. See, the book ends, for I tell you, unless the, your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why would Jesus say this? They only had, these men were so self-righteous. Do you, know, do you know any Christians like that? Do you know any pastors like that? Don't look at me right now. Do you, have you experienced any televangelists? How about you? See, why would Jesus, because their self-righteousness, it was unacceptable to God. And instead of trusting in Jesus, these leaders, these pastors, which we see today, trusted in themselves, trusted in their buildings, trusted in the crowds, trusted in their offerings, trusted in all these things except for the one that really mattered, Jesus. See, here's the reality. Religion always trusts in themselves that they are righteous. And, and, and they always treat others with contempt. Think about that. Religion always trusts in itself and always treats others with contempt. Therefore, Jesus hated religion, could not stand religion. It was an abomination to him. And his most harshest words for religious people, his most gracious words were for people like you, drunkards and, and prostitutes and, and, and sinners. <laughs> not, the, not this front row, but the rest of you, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Why would Jesus say this? Because Jesus hates religion. And scribes and Pharisees trusted in them. See this religion thing that, that people do? It's all about you. It's all about trusting in you. They trusted in the religion. They exalted themselves above anybody else. They were in this position that ruled over you. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church like that. I've been a part of a church like that before. Where the, you know, the, here comes the prophet. Here comes the apostolic. Here comes the man. And like, I'm supposed to bow down to this guy. He's no different than you and me. Jesus is the one I bow down to, not some pastor. Now there's respect, but you don't bow down to me. <laughs> See, the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious people, they exalted themselves above others. They alone heard from God. They were self-righteous. One of the issues in the church today is that, and the reason that, that, that the world doesn't want to be in here is because this pharisaical spirit, self-righteous spirit, I have my stuff together. And you don't. And the world goes, no, 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 I see you. I listen to you. I watch you. And you're so self-righteous. And you have no problem judging me and you've never walked in my shoes. And that's what these Pharisees would do. And I love Jesus because he steps right in the middle of these self-righteous sons of guns. And he just turns everything upside down. You have these book ends. The problem with self-righteous people is this. They treat others with contempt, look down on you, and what they can never see is they are just like you and me. See, the Bible says this in Isaiah, 
that we are filthy as rags. We are filthy as rags. And it says this in Romans 3, that there's no one righteous, not even one. That the level playing field is this. There's not a single human being that's ever walked this earth that isn't filthy as rags, that isn't sinned, except for Jesus. Except for Jesus. And self-righteous people don't like to think about their filthiness. In fact, they push it away. I know Christian after Christian that doesn't like to think about their filthiness. But if I don't keep that reality of who I can be apart from Jesus in front of me, I'll end up being a complete, or let me, I'll end up being more of a complete jerk. Seriously, you just laughed at that? I'm kidding you. <laughs> I thought it'd come from her. That self-righteousness is the thing that, that I just, I, I push it all down and want everybody to think that I've got it all together and I don't. And I've been under the pastor, and I've said this before, I've been under the pastor who has the perfect marriage, the perfect three kids, who says the right thing, drives the right car, lives in the right house. Did he sleep with the secretary and steal money? <laughs> self-righteousness and Jesus hates it he hates it see these bookends Jesus says this this self-righteous they they can't inherit the kingdom of heaven but then he does this interesting thing he talks about anger lust divorce oaths retaliation and and your enemies and then he says be perfect it's it Jesus does something crazy here in between those two passages, he, d- he does something. Jesus literally turns everything upside down. He turns everything on its ear. He does this series of six, I'm going to kick you in the teeth. He does these things. See, he, he, prior to Jesus' coming, when we talk about uh, anger, it says this, when you murder someone, you've committed sin. Okay, that's pretty logical. That sounds about right. I'm going to call that sin, sin, sin. He says lust. When you, it, but prior to Jesus coming, it said this. When you sleep with another woman who's not your wife, that is lust, that's sin. Sounds pretty logical. Again, good rules. We'll go with that one. Then he goes into divorce. Prior to Jesus, what we saw was people would divorce a wife that they were done with. It was a, it was a, a patriarch society, and men ruled, sorry, it's just the way it was, and they'd literally get rid of a woman, including the Pharisees, because they were done with her and what she is doing, and they'd move to the next one. There was no grounds for divorce. If they just didn't like the, the way they smelled, they could move them on. So prior to Jesus, you could divorce her. Prior to Jesus, you, 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 oaths were things that, that commitments in the name of, of God that you made. Prior to Jesus, retaliation was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Hey, you do something to me, I do something. Sounds, sounds pretty law. Prior to Jesus, it says, look, love the ones that love you, hate your enemies. Again, doesn't sound tough. Sounds very logical. Sounds like it flows. And Jesus comes. And everything changes. He does this, like I said, he flips everything on its ear. 
He changes absolutely everything. He moves the bar completely. And then Jesus started to say things like this when talking about anger. He said, you have heard it said. There's six of these, you have heard it said. And he says this in, in regarding the first one, anger. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable for judgment. That was prior to Jesus. But then he takes it and moves it up a notch. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother is liable for judgment. He says, look, before if you murdered them, that's sin. He says, now if you hate on them, that's sin. He goes on and he says, with lust. He says, you've heard it said. You should not commit adultery. Can't sleep with another man's wife. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Hold on a second. She walks by, you can't even look at her. He walks by, I'm not going to let you women off that hook, you, you go to the store, 50 shades of gray, just the book is there, the, it's, it's mind pornography for women, no different than the men's pornography, you think, you, you read that, you look at her, you do these things, Jesus said, now that's adultery. Completely makes you feel uncomfortable. And he goes on, I'm sorry on to the next one and he says this about divorce he said it was also said whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce but I say to you gosh he gets but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That's hardcore. Jesus, again, he raises the bar to a whole nother level. He said, lust, it's not just about having adultery, it's looking at another. Divorce, it's not just about you can throw it away. In fact, not only can't you throw it away, but you marry another woman, it's adultery. Okay, some of you are really sweating right now. Look, there's grace. I'm getting there. <laughs> Oaths. <laughs> Dying over here. I know. I'm preaching the crowd. Oaths. He says this. Again, you have heard it said to those of old before Jesus, you should not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or from the throne of God. He literally says this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be secure in what you say. You don't have to give excuses. You don't have to, just yes and no. And that's all anybody needs. A handshake and a yes. Handshake and a no. He goes on and talks about retaliation. He says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one uh, resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you in the face and the right cheek, turn them the other one also. When your brother sins against you, when your brother <laughs> cheats you, when your brother slaps you, metaphorically or otherwise, Jesus says, I'm going to raise the bar now. What logically should happen is you should 
Retaliate, beat the snot out of him, call Eddie, call Deese, let him rub him out. <laughs> Jesus said, turn the cheek. These people are sitting in this crowd. There's hundreds, if not thousands of people. And they're listening to these words. And they're going, how can we ever live like this? And as you sit here today, as I sit here today, I look at what Jesus said and you go, oh goodness. And he finishes with this last one. And he says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is so countercultural. It is so in our face. It is so not what I want to do with her when she makes me mad. It's so what I don't want to do with you when you make me mad, so don't laugh. It is so against everything inside of me. And Christians. And we wonder why they look at the church and they go, I don't want to go there. Jesus says, I put this bar way up here. I didn't lower the bar for you. I put the bar up. I moved it higher. And then he finishes with a statement which just ticks me off. He says this. Okay. Now be perfect. Therefore, as your father, heavenly father, is perfect. Are you kidding me? Have have you been to Orange County, Jesus? (laughs) Have you been to Huntington Beach in the summer? Don't lust. Have you seen the guy on the freeway in the 405 that just cut me off? Have Have you run into the guy in the bar? Have you ever had to live with my wife or my husband, Jesus? You think I can do these things? It's absolutely impossible. You're absolutely kidding me. It can't happen. And that's the attitude of the church as a whole. And the world says, why do I want that? The reality is he's not kidding. And the reality is also this. It is impossible. You can't live that life and I can't live that life. That's the point. It's impossible for you and for me to live that way. I can't do it. But not for Jesus. See, the whole thing is a a setup. He says, be perfect as I am perfect in the heavenly father. He said, in me, you can't do it. You cannot overcome lust, men. You cannot, in and of your own flesh. It's not gonna happen. You cannot overcome anger, men and women. It ain't gonna happen. In and of your own flesh. You cannot be a man or woman of your word in and of your own flesh. Maybe for a moment. Maybe for in one deal. Maybe in a couple deals. You can't stay in a relationship in and of yourself. We go through every one of these. But it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It says this. The law was kept perfectly in Christ. Christ lived a sinless life. And all its penalties against God's sinful people, you and me, were poured out on him. 
Oh, that's good. Therefore, the law is not manifestly not the path to righteousness. In other words, before Jesus, the law is what led you to righteousness. If I obeyed the law, I was righteous. If I didn't do this, I was righteous. If I didn't do that, I was righteous. I can't do that. I can't live under the law because I don't keep it well. But he says this, Christ is. See, the ultimate goal of the law is that it would look to Christ, not law-keeping for our righteousness, John Piper. Jesus is the reason that I can have victory in my life. Jesus is the reason that I don't have to walk around angry. Jesus is the reason that I don't have to walk around fighting. Jesus is the reason I can turn my cheek. Jesus is the reason that I can stay pure in my mind. Jesus is the reason that I can forgive and love my enemy. Not John. Can't do it. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. When Jesus came, the law was over. It doesn't mean it was, it's, it's over in that, that you can break it. It's over in that it is not your tutor anymore. The law only points to Jesus, and Jesus is my grace, and he is the one who forgives, and he's the one who gives me the power to live the life that I live. If you have eyes to see, here, here it is. Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Impossible. We said that. You know, all the six kicks in the teeth, impossible. And he finishes with be perfect as I am perfect. Impossible. It is in Jesus who does it, not me. I am perfect in him. I am righteous in Jesus. And the church is walking around trying to be righteous and doing good. And it doesn't work. The church is walking around trying to be righteous and being. And it doesn't work. The righteousness comes through God and his son, Jesus Christ. The answer is Jesus. And he said, it's good that I leave. I will give you the Holy Spirit. And he did a work on the cross and he took away the sins of the world. And he he died and rose again on the third day. And he, he alone is my righteousness. Not your works. Not your tips that you give God. Not that you came tonight and maybe you'll come next week. Not that you said your little prayer or you read your book today. That isn't it. It's Jesus and what he did on the cross some 2,000 years ago. When you have Christ, you also have everything God promised through him. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus was pure, had no sin, and God made him to be sin. He literally took on our sin. The sin that you've committed yesterday, today, the sins that you're going to commit tomorrow, the sin that the world brings about. God said, here is my son, and my son will take on your sin that in him we might become righteousness of God. That in him we might stand before God. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of Jesus' blood to be received by faith. What does that mean? God, I don't understand how it all works. But you set your son to die on the cross for me. And I want to receive your son as my Lord and Savior. And the blood that was shed will wash me clean as snow. He did this to demonstrate 
his righteousness. To demonstrate his righteousness. What is righteousness? Right standing before God. That the creator of heaven and earth, who is perfect and cannot be in the presence of imperfect, I can be in his presence because I have a right standing because of what Christ Jesus did on the cross some 2,000 years ago. And when we come into relationship with Jesus, we will never be no more close or further away from God than we are with the righteousness because of Jesus' perfect work. I, 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 real quick, I want to show you this because this is, I think, where, where Christians get so, ins- maybe some of you in here today, this, this self-righteous religious thing, this pharisaical thing says this, I can work harder to be closer to God. Here's the reality. The reality is this. When you come into a relationship with God... When you come into that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, terrible drawing, I understand. You know, but when you come into that relationship, Jesus, never at any point, you will never be more close or further away from him than you were at that moment. Today, if you got, I got saved years ago, I've never been further or closer to him than I was at that moment. What does that mean? Religion says this, as I stand out here, and I do things, I get closer and closer to God. As I, as I go to church, as we said, as I give money, as I help the old lady across the street, as I, whatever it is, I, these acts, that gets me closer to God. But what the gospel says is this, you can never be more, you can never be closer or further away from God than the moment that you come into a relationship with him. It's not lost. And some of us have been drowning in sin. Some of us have been just, just riddled with guilt or condemnation. And God goes, no, 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 no. My son did the work some 2,000 years ago. And you don't have to anymore. He says, you are my son. And God looks at us and he sees the blood of Jesus. That's why we point to Jesus during this Lent season because of the power of the cross and what he did. And God looks at us and when I break the law, when I do something I'm not supposed to do and there's repentance, God sees Jesus in his blood and there's, I can't get further away from him and I can't do more to get closer to him. When I come into a relationship with Christ Jesus, I am in perfect communion with him and it doesn't always feel that way. But it's no different than my relationship with my wife. The covenant that I have with her, it doesn't always feel that we're this close together. But nonetheless, we are. There's a spiritual principle to it, and there's a natural and a spiritual principle to this relationship. And the same thing with our God. And if you struggle with that today, I'm I'm telling you, God says, you've never been further away from me. And your sacrifices... That's not what gets you close. I don't know, dude, my clicker got too excited. Finish with this. This Lent season that we're going through, this, this book, Sacred People, everything we're reading, everything that we're preaching and doing during this Lent season points to Jesus. See, because in him... All things are possible. That financial squeeze you're in, God can do a miracle. I'm not talking about a miracle, oh, someone's going to write you a tent. I'm talking about God will sustain you. That relationship that's broken, that hurt, God is enough. Jesus is enough. 
that fear that grips you, whatever that fear may be, Jesus is enough. That pain that hurt from whoever did what, Jesus is enough. That wayward relationship, that child, that wife, that husband, what I, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And as we move towards the Super Bowl of Christianity, Easter Sunday, as we spend these next several weeks, I want us as a church to grab a hold of that, that Jesus is enough. And our self-righteousness is a stench to God. But I can't do it without him. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in me that allows me to live the life that he's called me to. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus spread his arms and he spilled his blood for John Blue, for you. And he did it for some of your neighbors and family members that have no idea. And he wants to use you and me to bring that hope. That's unbelievable. He lets us be a part of that. In this season, grab that. Wrestle with that. Think about that and what Jesus has done for you and what he's done for me. Thanks for listening to the Pacific Point Podcast. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com slash give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you are encouraged today.